This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, April 9th, 2014. I'm Caleb Brown. When innovation requires navigating a complex system of entrenched interests and bureaucratic stamps of approval, many would-be innovators are left to find something else to do, and the world is poorer for it. Adam Thierer is a senior research fellow at the Mercatus Center and author of Permissionless Innovation. We spoke last week. The uh, disgraced politician Anthony Weiner now has a column at Business Insider and he wrote a recent column about Tesla, the uh, high-end electric car manufacturer and dealer. Uh, And he closes his column with this, Tesla and these other tech disruptors might want to put more of their energy into finding ways to fit their innovations into existing regulations. And that seems to be sort of a microcosm of an attitude that uh, you talk about in your book. That's exactly right. It's a sort of mother may I approach that we all too often see among politicians and a lot of academics that is otherwise known as the precautionary principle. Uh, The precautionary principle uh, has a lot of uh, uh, usage in the field of health and safety and environmental law, but in the field of uh, information technology and other uh, innovations, the precautionary principle is also at work. And the precautionary principle basically says that Uh, new innovation should be curtailed or maybe even discouraged until such a point in time that they um, can be proven to be perfectly safe or there's no theoretical harm to individuals, institutions, business models, norms, whatever else. The problem with that is is that's essentially uh, the antithesis of innovation and progress. And we can't predict how different technologies will function in tandem to give us products that we would never have imagined. I'm thinking of specifically of a company like Zipcar or a company like Uber that are largely defined by their ability to communicate with with satellites and use apps to give people greater transportation access than they might otherwise have had. Yeah, that's right. A great deal of the history of progress and innovation is the history of accidental or serendipitous discovery. Um, We don't always set out with a grand design about exactly how to do certain things and do them in a better way. We only get there by allowing for entrepreneurs and other innovators to experiment freely, which is what I call permissionless innovation. Now, where do we – in what sectors do we see the most, I guess, precautionary – uh, sets of regulations? Well, we, we see a lot of precautionary regulation, of course, in traditionally heavy, heavily regulated sectors, uh, health and safety, as, as I already mentioned, um, where agencies like the FDA and the EPA and others regulate very heavily. Uh, on the other hand, more modern sectors, information policy sectors in particular, uh, information technology sectors, rather, such as the internet, have had a lighter touch and one that has been generally speaking, more of a hands-off role or permissionless innovation is being allowed to thrive, and we see the wonderful results. What costs do people point to when they want to say, well, we can't allow this kind of technology to move forward? Right. So it depends on what particular technology we're talking about or which particular sector. The fields that I'm covering and write about in my new book primarily deal with concerns about privacy, safety, and security uh, around the internet and information technologies or network technologies. Some of these concerns are valid. Um, the point I make in the book is that we, we should definitely engage and uh, not ignore these concerns or threats, but that there's almost always a better way to deal with them other than sort of top-down, mother-may-I, permission-based approaches that ultimately would derail beneficial forms of innovation. How much of the effort to regulate before understanding or regulate before giving technologies a chance to sort of flourish is based on 
a political calculus about you know exacting some sort of favors from uh, these uh, companies or individuals that want to innovate. There's certainly a lot of that going on, and that's been a subject of a lot of my other writing on uh, high-tech cronyism, including a piece that I wrote for Cato on this uh, several years ago about uh, the problem of cyber politics. And, you know, that's always going to be a problem in every sector. But in these cases, there are some legitimate, well-founded concerns. I mean, when we think about the privacy, safety, and security implications of network technologies, we shouldn't deny that there potentially are real concerns or threats there. The, The point is, is that if you spend, however, all of your time living in fear of hypothetical worst-case scenarios and basing public policy upon them, then best-case scenarios will never come about. Innovation dies when you have laws that are essentially based upon hypothetical chicken little-like fears. We need to allow for experimentation in order to get more innovation, in order to get more progress and prosperity. We learn from our mistakes. We find better ways to solve them than through top-down controls. What examples do you point to as uh, not necessarily best-case scenarios but good-case scenarios for Uh, a light touch allowing for a great deal of innovation and improvement of people's lives. Well, generally speaking, our first 20 years with the internet are, I think, the prime example of permissionless innovation in action. For the most part, nobody sat down and designed, uh, you know, what the policy should be to govern all the concerns that would arise out of the internet. And there have been concerns. But instead, we allowed innovation to go forth. We, the sort of default principle was innovation allowed. And we have seen a remarkable flourishing of economic, cultural, and social activity on the internet that is virtually unparalleled in the history of information networks. By contrast, you look at the history of traditional media sectors like broadcast television and radio, very heavily regulated, sort of permissioned, licensed, and there you have censorship. You have all sorts of economic controls and other restrictions and regulations and far less innovation as a result. I think that's a pretty good, uh, what economists would call, natural experiment in the real world. Virginia Postrel used to make this point about uh, certain kinds of technology and in within broad range of the tech sector, I, th- I think this probably holds true, which is a new technology can come about and then be adopted so rapidly that by the time someone gets around to wanting to regulating it or cracking down on it or shutting it down entirely, it already has its own constituency. Yeah, that's right. And, and that's exactly what's happened with the internet and, and the digital economy. Virginia, by the way, is one of the heroes of my book. And she put together a wonderful book in the late 90s called The Future and Its Enemies, where she contrasted these different worldviews of dynamism and stasis. And it really perfectly encapsulates the problem we see today where you have those of us who are willing to embrace a dynamic economy and and society as messy as it may be and those who adopt the sort of stasis mentality about like don't rock the boat, let's always be careful, mother may I. And that – as it's still at work in every single technology debate that I I think we can uh, describe today. There's another aspect to this which is – if the government is going to prevent certain innovations from coming about or if allowing them to come about, heavily regulating them in the process, there's never a guarantee that, and at least in the debates on NSA spying and and various aspects of internet regulation, it seems clear that a lot of the people who would be doing the regulating don't understand the technology at all. I think that's a very good point. I think that's a problem in a lot of sectors, but it's a particular problem in the field of information technology. And what's really strange is how often you go to congressional hearings or listening to political speeches where policymakers will 
joke openly about how little they know about the technology and then ha 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 laugh about it. Not so funny. <laughs> Not funny when you have a, a 200-page bill that you're introducing at that same moment to say, this is what I think we need to do with this sector, right after you've joked about how little you understand it or the technologies behind it. Adam Thierer is a senior research fellow at the Mercatus Center and author of Permissionless Innovation. You can read more about how to promote dynamism in our economy at our website, cato.org.